Good evening. Tonight there aren't any upper classes, so if, if you're used to leaving at this time, we're going to have a, a service focused around the cross of Jesus, around the bread and the cup which he gave us to remember him. So um, we'll study the word for a while in our, our portion from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We started this chapter on Sunday morning. Whenever we receive the bread and the cup, whenever we receive the Lord's Supper, we are told to examine ourselves. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Each time we come, yes, we're supposed to live lives where we're examining ourselves all the time, but especially when we remember Christ's death, we're to say, Lord, who am I? Show me what I'm really like. I should be like taking a, a hard look at who I am and my actions, and so should you. So the God-given design of the Lord's Supper is for us to examine and then eat. It's for us to, to reflect on who we are and then to remember what Jesus did for us. All of this sometimes will push us away. When we see our sin, when we take a look inside at, at who we are, how we've been acting, how we've been thinking, how we've been operating, uh, if we see our sin, it can move us one way or the other. It can even cause us, cause us to move away from the Lord and say, uh, what am I going to do with my sin? I'm not worthy, which is true. And it, it can put up a barrier, barrier between us and God. Have you had that happen before where you get a good look at your sin and you realize, I have no business being near to God. He's, he's holy and I'm obviously far from being holy. But when the Lord says that we should examine ourselves, it's not, please listen to me, it's not for the purpose of pushing us away. It's for the purpose of drawing us near. I hope that you've also had the experience of seeing who you are, seeing your sin, and that's caused you to realize I need the Lord. Without him, I'm lost. Without him, I can't be clean. Without him, I can't be forgiven. Without him, I'm condemned. So when the Lord says in his word for us to examine ourselves, it's not to push us away. It's to draw us close to him. Jesus said on that night in the upper room, he said, take, right? He gave him an invitation, take, eat. This is my body. He showed the bread. And he said, take, this is the cup. He reached out and said, I want to bring you in. That's the point of communion, to have closer fellowship with us, for us to see what we have because of the cross of Christ. That look inward, that examination, it's not always comfortable, but it is profitable. It is good. This evening, I do hope that you examine yourself, but I hope that when you see who you are, it just makes you know all the more I need the Lord. I can't be away from him. I need to confess my sins because he's faithful and justified. I just wall around it. I just repeat it. So here we are realizing that the cross is key. His kindness leads us to repentance. So how does 2 Corinthians chapter 4 cause us to examine ourselves? I hope that you are reading ahead and studying ahead the second portion of the chapter. 
Let's start with verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Doesn't that make sense right there in your Bible? If you believe in Jesus, you're going to tell others how he saved you. If you have a belief unto salvation, if you believe in him as Lord, then therefore you will speak. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What's the self-examination that we see here in this portion? What's one of them? I see that we are called to live with eternal values. The things that are supposed to matter to me and you are the things that are heavenly, the things that will last from now into eternity. That's supposed to be the way you think. It's supposed to be the way I think. It's supposed to be the way we operate and live our lives, to have a value system that is eternal. Just think, we should try to put ourselves in this frame of mind. It was described in the scriptures, even though most of us have not experienced it. What did it say here? Your body is declining. Your health is fleeting. And it's not just because you're getting old. All of us are getting old. Right? Some people took offense to that. They realized, actually, all of us are getting Your health is fleeting. It's not just because you're diseased. But it's because of what? In the context of the passage, you're hurting because you're suffering for Christ's sake. Paul was experiencing beatings and imprisonments. He was going through the ringer. His life, he was very hard-pressed. He was, had a lot of struggles. But you're so ardent about getting the word of God across to people that you will continue to have these afflictions and everything that comes with it. But the Holy Spirit has given this perspective to you. Even though my body is failing, I am doing a work that lasts forever. My physical suffering doesn't even compare to what I get to do for the everlasting. In fact, look at what Paul is saying here. My physical suffering is a tool for God to do an eternal work in me. You make this decision to press on even you, though you know there will be more dark cells, more chains, more hunger, more sleeplessness. And not only do you press on, but when you weigh your suffering, what do you call your suffering? What would you call it according to the text? Light affliction. Light affliction. And then when you weigh the work of the eternal mission that you're on, you say, it's heavy. So on the scales, what you're going through physically doesn't even compare to what you get to do for God, which lasts for all eternity. 
It's hard for us to think that way because not many of us have suffered severely for righteousness sake. So passages like this in the Bible are sometimes people are checked out. They're like, oh, I don't want to hear about suffering. Or they say, oh, I've suffered before. Oh, yes, we've suffered. Usually because we're stupid. Or because we live in a fallen world and, and we get sick or we have injuries or we have struggles relationally. But this is suffering for the sake of the gospel. A person who says, I'm going to give my life to make sure that I'm discipling people for Jesus. And then saying, that suffering is doing an eternal work in me. While I'm studying this tonight, I'm asking myself, what am I doing that will last forever? What am I doing with my day that'll still be here in 100 years or that will still be lasting in 100 years or 200 years? What am I doing that's truly temporary? This is to cause me to examine myself. What am I doing that's fading? Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just think about Jesus preaching those words. Those words coming from his lips. He's on the mount and he's trying to wake people up and he's saying, stop storing up your treasures here on earth. That stuff's going to fade away. It's temporary. It's not going to last. Wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart is. That's where your desires are. You can store up treasures in heaven where a moth doesn't come in, when rust doesn't affect, where a thief doesn't come in and steal. Let that be the affections of your heart. When I ask myself, what am I doing that's eternal? I realize there are so many distractions. And we can like blame our culture. We can blame our environment. We can blame our selfish tendencies. There's just a million things we can blame, right? So many people are saying, oh, you should do this with your time or you should do, do that with your time. We have such a propensity to compare ourselves to what other people are or what other people are doing. Sad to say that a lot of times we're thinking instead of like, what am I doing that's going to last forever in the heavenly sense we're asking ourselves, have I had enough me time? Or what am, am I successful? Am I living like other people who are retired? Am I climbing the ladder? Are my kids getting to experience everything that I want them to? And all of a sudden, seemingly so quickly, we're putting our lives into things that are fading, into things that are passing away. Even though we say we love the Lord, and we say what matters to us is the forever, and then we find ourselves living in a way that's not like that very much at all. Your priorities for your life, my priorities for my life. I've been trying to finish my house, I mean, for a long time, but recently, like, I, I, just, I need to get it done. And it's, it's not that I despise the, the labor of the building or the calculating, I just want to be doing something that 
is going to last forever. And my house already burnt. It wasn't my house when it burned. It already burnt down once. So I'm thinking, this house is going to burn down again at some point. Somebody's going to tear it down. It's just a house, right? I want to do, you want to do something that is eternal in impact. I mentioned our kids, parents, grandparents. We're setting the pace for their priorities. We're teaching them by how we live what is really important, what's really important to us. And our culture is saying they've got to experience this, they've got to experience that, they've got to have everything, and in the process, are they getting spoiled? The question is, are those God's priority? It's not what their friends are doing. It's not what do they have that I didn't have. Really, the question is, is it temporary or is it timeless? I speak not so much for myself, although partially it is for me, but I know that it breaks God's heart when a kid, teenager, even young adult, has a desire for God and the parent ignores it, doesn't feed it. They're more interested in distracting their kid than discipling them. I see kids who who want to know God more. They're excited to learn of his word. They're 8, 10, 12, 16, 18 years old. And where's that dad? Where's that mom? Just checked out. Oh, let's go do this. Let's go do Are you paying attention? Your kid right now is alive to God. There's nothing better you could do than to set a heavenly priority. It's way more important than them getting an awesome education. It's way more important than, than them being popular or cute. Maybe you were so cute when you were little, now you want your kid to be even cuter. Maybe you were so smart, now you want your kid to be even smarter. You were so popular, now you're just like, oh, I just want my kid to just have. So is that going to last forever? It's not going to last forever. Well, it'll distract them from the heavenly, eternal, won't it? As a dad, I'm asking myself those questions a lot. Where am I storing up my treasures? Is there an eternal weight of glory? Or is, is that just talk? Now, sometimes we might think, well, I'm not directly speaking the gospel at this point. I'm, I am an evangelist, but not a gifted one. Or I'm not in solitary prayer at this point. I'm not leading worship at this point. I'm not teaching the Bible, so I'm not doing a heavenly work. That's not true. I wish we could see how many things actually have eternal repercussions, because sometimes we think just in terms of, well, if I'm doing that very obvious spiritual heavenly thing, then I'm really doing something that's going to last forever. And um, since I'm not an evangelist or a preacher or a prophet, then obviously I don't have anything to do. You worked hard to make that food, and people fellowshiped around it. Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That might be a lot of my job. And fellowship, and in the breaking of bread. Maybe that's part of your job. Is it not the eternal weight of glory? You helped a brother or sister with some hands-on project that they were struggling with or they couldn't do. Galatians 6.10, 
Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That is a heavenly work. God keep us from thinking that it's got to be something super out front or super spectacular in the eyes of people. There is so much eternal work that we can be doing. Offer somebody a ride to church. Sit with them once they're here. It's a bummer to come and sit by yourself. Hey, do you want to sit with us? Open your home. Offer them a meal. That's called hospitality. And it's not having your friends over. Sometimes you like to have your friends over. I understand that. It's not wrong. You pray each day for the needs of the body. That's eternal work. How would you know? Well, there's a prayer list that we put on the website, right? Doesn't it say? You might say, oh, whoa, I don't know very many of those people. Did Jesus say, love your friends, bless those who bless you, do good to those who do good to you, and pray for those who responsibly serve you? Is that what he said? No, no, and no. Get that version out of your mind. That was the EXV, Eddie expanded version, whatever. Jesus said this, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Eternal implications, even with a cup of water. You say, I'm not a great cook. Can you make a cup of water? <laughs> Jesus got it right down to the most basic thing. You, and so there's an eternal work to be done, and it weighs so much more than the passing things of this life. Paul and his companions could see that clearly because they were suffering so much for the sake of the Lord, and they didn't have a whole lot of physical to connect with, right? They didn't have good health. They didn't have nice houses. They didn't have vacations. So they're thinking the eternal weight of glory, so much more. God's getting us ready. What is keeping me, what is keeping you from investing in souls, pouring into people, being attentive to God's leading? This eternal weight of glory. Who has lived eternal values perfectly? Jesus did. In his, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, perfect eternal values, always with his eyes on how he was going to bless you or me eternally, carrying out that master plan from beginning to the end, that weight of glory. He gave his life on the cross for you and for me. He spilt his blood for your sins. We are here to remember Jesus' brow because the crown of thorns was pressed upon it so that you and I could have the eternal work accomplished for us, the eternal work of heaven. We're to remember Jesus' body that was whipped and broke open for our sins, an eternal work that he did for us. Was it physical? Very much so but it was also eternal. It was everlasting on our parts. We're to remember Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet 
as the spikes were driven through them, his face as it was spat upon. Would you turn to the book of Matthew? I think it would be good for us to read some passages from later in the book. Go to chapter 26, the first book in the New Testament. Matthew 26, 67. Now that you're examining your life in light of the eternal, we're remembering what Jesus did to give us forgiveness. Verse 67 in Matthew 26 says, Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now go ahead to Matthew 27, 29. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took their robe off him and put his clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Go forward now to verse 35 in chapter 27. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Jesus lived for you. He poured out his life. He gave us his teaching. He gave us his compassion through his miracles. And then he willingly gave his life in a torturous way on the cross. Then he defeated death on your behalf so that if you will believe in him, you too will rise. And he lives forevermore to make intercession for you so that each time you and me stumble, he's there as our advocate. He's there as the one saying, I paid for that sin. The perfect judge able to pardon us even though we're deep in our sins. Wash us clean even though we've wandered far away. Psalm 80 Verse 3 says, Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. This evening, if you will get a glimpse of the face of Jesus, this evening, if you'll allow the elements, yeah, it's, it's a cup, it's some bread, to show you who Jesus is and his love for you, you'll be saved, and you'll be reminded, you'll be set apart, which means to be sanctified, don't receive that bread in that cup in an unworthy manner. That's the warning we get in the Bible. Please examine yourself. And when you see your sin, just say, oh, Lord, cast yourself on his mercy. Tell him thank you over and over again for giving you what you have right now. If you are not in Christ, which that means if you haven't believed in him as Lord, today can be that day. The Bible clearly says today is the day of salvation. Are you a procrastinator? I tend to be a procrastinator. 
I'm infamous for like doing a job 99%, just leaving like one little bit done. Today is the day where you can believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that God has risen him from, brought him back from the dead, and you will be saved. Complete. It is finished. Praise the Lord for his eternal and perfect work. Lord, if we were to set our own course, it certainly wouldn't be on target. If we were to pick our own way, it would be way off. But you have shined your light. You've shown us the way. You've shown us your face. And now, Lord, we, we want to be like those we read of in your word who are said, this is a light affliction compared to what I get to do for the kingdom. This is a light affliction compared to heaven, compared to seeing you save people and establish people. Lord, I thank you for the miracle that you do. I pray, Lord, that we would, this evening, be simple before you, be humble before you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.